Welcome to Holistic Trauma Healing, a podcast that empowers you to heal trauma in the same way it has affected you as a whole person. I am Lindsay Lockett, your host. I have discovered a profound path to healing trauma that allows us to move out of the role of victim and into the role of empowered and conscious creator of our best possible reality. I offer hope, healing insights, and practical tips as you get to the root of how trauma has affected every part of your existence and how to weave a new web of life that isn't ruled by the past. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the show. Um, I left you off with a part one about plants and mushrooms for mental health and promised a part two about psychedelics, and that was over a month ago. But here is part two. Um, I'm having a chat with Andy Grace Rose, um, who was on the last episode, episode 95, Plants and Mushrooms for Mental Health. And in this one, we are just talking about psychedelics. And then there's a little bit of a chat about a very elusive, ephemeral plant called Ghost Pipe at the end of this episode, which is a plant that is very special to me and resonates with me a lot. Um... But before we dive into this episode, I just want to give a big fat (laughs) disclaimer, and that is that we are talking about psychedelics, and in the United States, psychedelics are not federally legal yet. Um, Got a couple states where psychedelics have either been legalized or decriminalized, and that's great, but federally... um, For the most part, psychedelics, LSD, MDMA, psilocybin mushrooms, um, they're illegal. And so this episode is only to talk about our own personal experiences with psychedelics. Um, We are not in any way, shape, or form recommending psychedelics for everyone. Um, If you have the ability to access a therapist to work with psychedelics. Um, that may be one of the only legal ways you can do that. Um, basically I just encourage you to like take this information with a grain of salt, uh, allow it to marinate in your body for a bit. If you've been curious about trying psychedelics, you know, here's just another piece of information and never hurts to have more information. And also sometimes we can have too much information and it kind of psychs us up or psychs us out. Um, So just sharing personal stories here and personal experiences, in no way are we recommending that psychedelics are for you or that they're for everyone. There are conditions for which psychedelics are extremely contraindicated. Um, If you're on certain types of medications, if you have certain diagnoses like psychotic episodes, uh, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, things like that, psychedelic medicine is generally not recommended for you, um, even by the the big psychedelic people like Timothy Leary. Um, So yeah, I just want to give this big fat disclaimer that we are not recommending psychedelics to everyone. We are not responsible for whether or not you choose to procure and use psychedelic medicine. Um, You know, sometimes it's uh, really difficult to find these medicines. And so you need to be really careful if you are going to do it illegally. You need to be really careful with your sourcing. Um, Definitely, you know, buy like testing kits to make sure that whatever you do procure is not laced with something, um, you know, do your research, 
There's websites like The Third Wave that can give you lots of really good information on different types of psychedelics, macro dosing, micro dosing, things like that. Um, the book How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan is a really amazing book. Uh, there's also a series on Netflix called How to Change Your Mind, and it's based on that book. It's really awesome, as well as the, the documentary Fantastic Fungi. So there's lots of resources about psychedelics. They're definitely you know, reappearing and becoming more mainstream. It's not as unusual to talk to someone or meet someone who uses psychedelics therapeutically, which is the only way that I use them. So I just want to be really clear that in no way, shape, or form am I advocating for the recreational use of psychedelics. Um, These medicines are sacred and really have only been used historically, ceremoniously, and ritually by indigenous and traditional people groups. Um, There are psychedelics that have been used all over the world from Africa to Northern Europe to South America to Central America. Um, So it's not a new thing, but they were never used recreationally, like for party drugs um, or music festivals or concerts. Uh, until recently. And so I I don't have any experience with using psychedelics in those types of environments. I only have experience using psychedelics in very private, um, safe, rural <laughs> spaces um, or in my own home. Um, not around a bunch of people, never at a party, um, never as a way to like have a good time. I always have an intention going into it. I wait until the medicine calls to me before I partake in it. Um, I usually wait and I prepare myself before I have intentions. Um, And then I also have integration periods afterwards. And um, all of that is really important. It's not as simple as just taking some mushrooms or, you know, putting a tab of acid on your tongue. There really is some preparation work that needs to go into it. And I would love to share a book that I'm actually reading right now about using psychedelic medicine in a way that is for ceremony and that doesn't appropriate from indigenous people. Um, And the book is called Consciousness Medicine. I will link to it in the show notes. I'm about halfway finished with this book. It is incredible how much it resonates and also how similar what she shares, the author shares in that book in terms of a healing framework. It's extremely similar to my holistic trauma healing framework that looks at all aspects of our being as a web and everything is connected. Um, I say that the, the five aspects of our being are our physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and ancestral Um, after reading this book, I'm thinking about modifying that a bit because she talks about the physical, the emotional, the mental, but also the environmental and the community aspects of our being. And so I think that that community aspect needs to go in there somewhere in my own framework, because I do talk about community as well. And so I just love what she shares in this book, Consciousness Medicine, about how we're not fully honoring the medicine if we only take a psychedelic and then we just apply it to our own personal growth journeys. And that if it's not rippling out into our communities, we're doing something wrong. 
So if, if your psychedelic journeys are not having an effect on your community, your family, the way that you interact with the earth, um, then that's just something to have an awareness of and just understand that any healing work that we do, whether it's through psychedelics or nervous system work or trauma work or whatever, absolutely it is for our own personal growth and healing and well-being, but it's not so that we can just hold it all to ourselves and become hermits and recluse ourselves <laughs> away from the rest of the world. It's so that we can take our more healed versions of ourselves and go out into our communities and into the world and actually become the change we want to see. So I want to just emphasize that that is a huge component of psychedelic medicine as well, um, at least for me and for many ancient <laughs> indigenous people from all over the world is that there is a community aspect to it as well. So with all of the disclaimers out of the way, I'm very excited to bring you this chat about psychedelic medicine with a little bit on the end about ghost pipe medicine with Andy Grace Rose. All right. I am back with Andy Grace Rose. Um, this is the part two from our first conversation where we were talking about plants and mushrooms for mental health. And we kind of gave you a little bit of a teaser and said that we were going to talk about psychedelics as well. And we got into it like very, very little bit. And then we ran out of time. So today's episode is totally devoted to talking about psychedelics, which is a really juicy, interesting topic that I find people are very hungry for information about. And I don't know if it's because they're considering psychedelics for themselves or if it's because it's like, whoa, this is this weird thing that people do and like, yeah. tell me about it, you know? So, um, so welcome back. Yeah. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, for sure. So let's just dive in and um, if you feel like sharing any of your own journey with psychedelics, um, I'd love to hear if you like, if you'd like to talk about microdosing or if you'd like to talk about like actual full on trips that you've done, um, and what that's been like for you. And then I'll share some of mine as well. Yeah. So, I mean, I have, I have kind of a longstanding relationship with psychedelics. I think I was kind of first introduced to it through, um, the festival scene like I live in BC and we have some we have a, a pretty amazing music festival culture out here um and so yeah for a lot of my 20s I was definitely I was out at festivals and partying a lot I was working harm reduction and I was learning skills to like I worked at the info table and I did drug testing and I also did trip sitting which often involved you know sitting with somebody who was in a situation that was more than they bargained for. <laughs> um, but it's a, like some of the most interesting people watching you can possibly do is just watching someone kind of confronting either parts of themselves or, or parts of sort of humanity on a universal level. And I definitely experimented a lot with different kinds of psychedelics. Um, but my favorite is definitely psilocybin or magic mushrooms um i i'm a forager so i do a lot of foraging locally and i have a relationship with mushrooms and mycelium just in general um but with psychedelics specifically like yeah i work a lot with microdosing um i microdose every day personally i also work with clients so i do 
one hour consultations just to talk to people about um, mostly about psilocybin. So I talk to people who are, you know, coming off of pharmaceuticals or who are on them, but want to experiment with using psilocybin. I also um, have started learning some skills to do trip sitting for bigger trips for people. And it's just something I've done like personally because it's fun and it's interesting and it's helped, it's really helped change my life and my mental health. And yeah, I mean, I think psilocybin is a big topic. It's like, there's so much you can say about it. Um, I think a really good resource for someone who's just sort of starting off on that road is to watch the show, how to change your mind on Netflix. Yeah. It's a good one. Or, yeah. There's four. I read the book and the book is quite good, but if you don't want to read like a 300 page tome, <laughs> it's, a, it's a good book because it has like the, it's, it really does. Michael Pollan is a great author and it's really well researched and he does a very good job of kind of explaining like the rise of psychedelics in Western culture and um, what some of the indigenous roots are for that practice and what that's looked like for indigenous people. And the show does that too, I think um, fairly well. But yeah, I mean, I just think it's pretty, we really don't have anything in the Western pharmacopoeia of, you know, pharmaceutical drugs that does what psychedelics and specifically psilocybin are capable of doing. And, you know, the title change your, how to change your mind is really quite apt because it's like, it really does allow you to, to change your mind and change your perspective and, um, it allows you to create new neural pathways in your brain that weren't there before. And, you know, for people who are experiencing trauma, for people who are struggling with their mental health, like it can really be quite incredible. And it's not the right medicine for everybody. Psilocybin is not the right thing for everybody. Um, but we are in a, a psychedelic renaissance right now. I think there's a lot of opportunities for people to explore. You know, you can also look into LSD. You can look into ketamine. There's, there's so many things that, I think we're going to see big waves of legalization happening in the next kind of five to 10 years. And it's a very interesting time to be alive in that sense. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It is. I hope that we see waves of legalization. I know it's already happening in places like Oregon. Um, but you know, along with the legalization of it, it kind of scares me that it could be like mm. colonized too, you know, which it already has been in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, absolutely. so it's a mixed bag for sure. So, um, let's, let's talk about microdosing and then go into macrodosing. So you microdose every day. Like you don't do the microdose one day, take a, t a break for two days and then microdose every third day you, you do every day. I mean, I naturally end up taking breaks because I just forget to do it sometimes, <laughs> but I work with a tincture and I'm actually, I microdose in like very small amounts. So like I figured out the tincture is like roughly about a milligram a drop. And then, so I'm taking, you know, somewhere between kind of 20 to 60 milligrams a day. Um, and the tincture is nice because you can really play with personalizing the amount and it's, it's mixed with lion's mane. It's a tincture that I started making about five years ago. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 it's really been life-changing for me. I, I started in a really committed way taking it after out of desperation going on an SSRI and it just was terrible. And I felt like I really needed an alternative, um, which is not, I'm not definitely not the only person who has that story or feels that way about, you know, I'm on a pharmaceutical every night that helps me sleep. 
and also helps with my anxiety and it's great and it's a good fit for me. But if you're on a pharmaceutical that's not the right fit for you, it can really feel discouraging. Yeah. Whereas, you know, psilocybin has been incredibly helpful for me. Um, I microdosed through my whole pregnancy. Um, I microdosed while breastfeeding. I, and I do end up naturally taking breaks because like I have ADHD. Sometimes I forget to to do things on a daily basis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the microdosing has not fixed your ADHD. <laughs> it helped. It's definitely helped um, improve my ADHD. Awesome. In a big way. Um, I also find that my ADHD is like, it becomes like ADHD. A lot of it, it, it involves emotional regulation and executive functioning. Right. And so it's like, if I'm in a place where I'm feeling stressed, definitely my emotional regulation and executive functioning suffers. <laughs> yeah. Same. <laughs> same. So you make your own tincture, a uh, combination of psilocybin mushrooms. Do you harvest those mushrooms yourself or? Um, no, it's hard. It's, it's, it's quite hard to do. Like, I mean, I live on the Pacific coast and so I've definitely heard, you know, some lore, <laughs> of times when it was possible. And and I know some places, you know, where I've heard that it's possible to harvest them in the wild. And I have Paul Stamets book. Um, I think it's called psilocybin mushrooms of the world or something, but it's an ID book for like many different kinds of psilocybin mushrooms. Um, but no, it's not something that I forage. Um, and you know, there is a, in Canada, I think there's like there's some kind of a legal loophole where it's, it is legal for you to buy the mycelium. I think like you can buy a growing kit, mm. but I don't know if it's legal for you to possess the actual mushrooms. It's, it's a weird little sort of loophole. Um, but it's becoming easier and easier to get access to it. Right. Like I think in BC now, I believe you can get a prescription from a doctor and oh, then really? get it from a, from a dispensary. Yeah. I, I may be wrong about that, but I do think that my understanding is that it's sort of in the same legal gray zone that marijuana was before it was legalized. And that period of time, like I don't smoke weed anymore, but that period of time was great for us because when it's, when it's functionally decriminalized, that's really different from when it's legalized. Because mm. when it's legalized, there's these sneaky ways that they're criminalizing it that are not super transparent right like you know in bc we're only allowed to grow four marijuana plants per household so it's not totally legal for you to grow as much of it as you want and what if you have like what if you live in a house with a lot of people yeah and it literally says in the law if you have extra plants you're supposed to you're supposed to like grind them up and add like cat litter to them or something in order wow. to destroy them and make them not usable. It's like very specific. Yeah. Yeah. And like no one who grows weed does that. No, no one is going to do it's that. Right? so hard to grow. Nobody is going to destroy it and mix it with kitty litter. That's no. hilarious. Um, yeah. yeah so oddly specific, right? Yeah, that really is. Um, yeah. <laughs> so silly. And the law makes it, I mean, the law in Canada makes it so that um, it. I believe it's a, it's legal to possess it up to a certain amount and it's like, but the law is really written for like bigger corporations, right? It's mm -hmm. like, it's written for like, I, I know people who, for example, 
bake weed and have looked into legally making it a real business but there's all these expenses and things that make sense if you're a huge company but don't make sense if you're like a mom and pop yeah person making stuff in your kitchen you know so but I think you know it's that it's we're in the gray zone time where we can start to talk about this and we can start to be brave about about the truth um and I feel like I'm willing to 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 be brave about it to a certain extent because I see it helping people I see it helping me and I see it helping the people in my life to heal and it's not this kind of catch-all like you know some people talk about psilocybin like it's like everything in your life will be perfect now (laughs) you just start using psychedelics and it's like no no it's a tool just like any other tool and it's a tool we can learn from and grow with um but it does create opportunities in our physiology that is just different from a lot of other things and it's definitely more effective than than ssris we have research to show that yeah for sure so um curious about your microdosing still so what are some of the things specifically that were an issue for you before you started microdosing that you feel are either resolved or improved because of microdosing in your own mental health? Yeah. I mean, my mental health is, is fairly complex. Like I definitely deal with, I mean, it's so hard to talk about like the categories of mental health because I have so, I mean, I teach a whole class about this. So I have like a million thoughts about all all of these categories, but loosely it's like in my life, I've definitely struggled with anxiety, depression, PTSD, ADHD. And I feel like all of them have helped, have been helped by psilocybin. Yeah. Um, I feel like, you know, with depression, it helps and I think that I think that depression in a lot of times is actually understandable sadness and grief to me when I feel like I'm depressed when I'm truly depressed it's when my life is actually okay but I just still feel like I'm in a terrible pit of sadness I think if I'm in a terrible pit of sadness because stuff sucks yeah it's a little it's pretty normal (laughs) yeah it's a bit different right um but I do feel like you know psilocybin it I mean, it's interesting because it's not numbing, right? It actually increases your emotional sensitivity. And if you if you learn about um, one of the most common things that happens for people microdosing, and this is why I like working with really tiny doses, like much smaller doses than normal. One of the biggest problems that people run into is the increased emotional sensitivity makes them feel more anxious. Same. That's and, exactly what happens to me when I microdose. That thing, yeah. I, was, I was actually going to ask that question, like, what happens if microdosing makes you more anxious? Cause that's totally what happens to me. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think for me, the smaller consistent doses and mixed with lion's mane is very helpful because lion's mane is really nice for reducing anxiety and also increases the capacity. Like the two of them work synergistically to help create more neuroplasticity in your brain. And so what that means, I'm sure your audience knows this and you know this like deeply, but it's like we can build these emotional patterns which are reflected in the way that our brain is wired, right? It's like if every time X thing happens, this is our response, that's 
that's how we're gonna that's how we've learned to respond to it it's like I remember I watched a video recently someone was describing it as it's like a ski hill where if you've carved this thing in the ski hill like you're gonna go down that path over and over again but psychedelics is like a blanket of snow and makes it so that suddenly you don't have those same regularly carved patterns to work from like you can you can pick something new um, and it does, it does increase your emotional sensitivity and your anxiety. And that's a part of why, like I said, I like, I mean, for me, when I made this tincture, my goal was to replace an SSRI and SSRI is taken every single day to improve your mood and your capacity to cope with your life. And so, you know, this tincture, you, I know people who take one to five drops of it, which is a minuscule amount. That's like one to five milligrams, right? Like that is a really, really small amount. And they feel like they're getting good benefits from it. Um, but what it does is it's, it makes you more aware of yourself. And from that place of being more aware of yourself and having more openness in the way that you look at yourself, you have more choices about how you respond to your emotions, which is different from like, it just makes me not feel sad anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not numbing. Um, right. It's a more it's an increased awareness, but also an increased sense of openness and an ability to make new choices. Um, and I think to have greater compassion for yourself. And I think it allows you to have greater compassion for other people. And it builds gradually over time. Um, you know, I feel like people who are taking a hundred or 200 milligrams as a microdose, as they're starting microdose. And sometimes I see people that even goes up to 500 milligrams, which to me is like, that's a recreational dose. Like that's like the beginning when you're working at a music festival doing harm reduction, half a gram of mushrooms is like, that's what you tell people is an intro dose to macro dosing. Yeah. You're going to feel something. So, So this spectrum of like, suddenly we're micro dosing, but it's starting to be the beginning of macro dosing. I'm like, I raise my eyebrow at that. I'm definitely like, that seems odd. But I also know people who've taken these smaller amounts of psilocybin and don't have the effects they're looking for and they start to feel it more at that 100, 200 milligram mm-hmm. threshold. Because the truth is we don't we don't know. Um, we don't have best practices for, for psilocybin at this point. Nor do we necessarily need them. Yeah, um, sure. But- but we're moving through the dark, experimenting on ourselves and working anecdotally with our own information and the information we hear from other people. Um, but for me, yeah, the, the microdosing was like, I just wanted to replace this SSRI with something, with something that was going to make life more, being alive more tolerable at a time when it felt intolerable to me. Um, I also feel like it connects me to the wonder of living mm-hmm. in a in a important way that SSRIs just didn't. Like for me being on an SSRI, I think I was more tolerable to the people around me, but I still internally was having a terrible experience. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I just, I designed this and it's, it's not, you know, I'm not the only person who's combining, um, psilocybin and lion's mane there's lots of people who are doing that but I think that the combination of the two is really nice and I think that sometimes when you get into combinations that have three four five six things it starts to be just it's too complicated so is it a microdose of lion's mane as well 
It's an equal amount of lion's mane and psilocybin in okay. the tincture. So it is a microdose of lion's mane. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I've never done uh, microdosing with a tincture. Um, and I would be interested in learning more about that off, off the show. <laughs> um, but uh, I have done where I just like grind up the the mushroom myself like in a coffee grinder or whatever make a powder out of it and then I would weigh out I have like a little jewelry scale that allows me to weigh out into like hundreds of micrograms <laughs> um so I would just put enough on there um and, and I was basing my dosage off of the information on the third wave website mm-hmm. um which gives some you know kind of starting doses for microdosing for both LSD and psilocybin um mm-hmm. And anyway, uh, so the weight that I ended up getting measured out to being about a quarter of a teaspoon of ground mushroom powder. Um, yeah. I took that quarter of a teaspoon of ground mushroom powder. This was several years ago. And, uh, within about 30 minutes, I started feeling anxious. Mm. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to go lay on the couch and just like, see if this passes. So I lay down on the couch and tried to close my eyes, but like every bone in my body was like, go outside, go outside, go outside. Mm -hmm. So this was like March or something. It was still cold. There was still snow on the ground. So I put my snow clothes on, put my snow boots on, went outside. We live on acreage. So it's not hard for me to like get to a a space in nature. Anyway, I ended up in this like four foot snow bank or whatever, and like plopped myself down, sat down in it and just stared up at the trees for like. I don't even know how long, half an hour, 45 minutes, something like that. And there was a yeah. bird, there was just a bird circling overhead. And I was just like, damn, this is like the coolest thing ever. And like, <laughs> I was just so like present and so like, but, but I realized like that was actually too big of a dose because yeah, I was gonna say, this sounds like a mac closer to a macro dose to me. Yeah. So like that is, you know, obviously everyone's level of sensitivity to different amounts is going to be different, which is what you're saying is like, we're, we're figuring this out in the dark because there isn't a standard dose size per person, because there's like so many things that we, yeah. may, not, we, we may not even have access to stuff like, like different genetic mutations that alter the way we metabolize these substances or like the sluggishness mm-hmm. of someone's liver could alter the way that they metabolize yeah. these things, you know, or just how big or small we are, what strain we're using, right. how much of the active ingredient is even in that strain. Like it's so many factors. Yeah. Yeah. So I did the quarter of a teaspoon real, I mean, and it gave me like, I mean, I'm going to say it was like an hour long sort of mini, mini trip. Like I could have easily had a conversation with someone if yeah. I had needed to drive somewhere I could have, like, I wasn't, I wasn't, um, sensory impaired. Like I would have been if it was a macro dose, because like, if I've yeah. taken, if I've taken four grams, five grams of mushrooms or something, like I'm not fucking having a conversation with anyone. I'm not like, if the UPS man shows up to my house, I'm not going to stand there and talk to him. Um, I'm not going to drive, you know, like there's things that I can't yeah. do. So so I have also microdosed LSD and the way that I have done that is just by taking like the tab of LSD and putting it in like, you know, a hundred milliliters of water or something, and then leaving mm-hmm. it for 24 or 48 hours to let the LSD kind of come off of the tab and then taking, you know, like milliliters of that and, you know, five drops, mm-hmm. 10 drops, something like that, um, to, to get milliliters. And that definitely, I've never had any like effects where I could feel that I was taking a psychedelic, but 
I still did have that emotional sensitivity and that increase in anxiety. And so, um, I've never stuck with microdosing because of that increase in sensitivity and increase in anxiety. But, um, I don't know, I could get myself in trouble legally here, I guess. I guess I'm going to trust that the listeners of this podcast are like not waiting for me to slip up and do something illegal and then report me. But, um, right now I am working with psychedelics on a monthly basis, just at home by myself. Um, and it's been pretty profound. The, the, the trip that I had in January, both of these were LSD trips, by the way, I only took a half a tab of acid. Cause I wasn't like trying to go like whole hog and, you know, be in another universe for hours. Like I, I wanted it to be gentle. And, and I've found through my own experimentation, I've found that like a half a tab, I don't get crazy visuals. Um, I don't get nearly as much anxiety. I feel pretty chill, but I, the medicine still... can be profound. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So I, you know, a half a tab was great for me. The half a tab I took in January was like, I mean, it was like one of the best gentlest trips ever. I processed a ton of grief over like my son moving out that I didn't even realize was there because in my, you know, conscious awareness state, I'm like, oh, my kids moved out, but like, I've done so much nervous system work and stuff that I'm not, not having grief over it. I'm just ready. And this is what's happening. And then, you know, I'm like on a half tab of acid and, uh, you know, the medicine is like, no, <laughs> you, like my baby. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it was. So I like saw like a replay of his entire like life, um, and saw the mistakes that I made and like the regret that I had. And it was interesting to be able to see all of that and not feel any shame for myself whatsoever, but just to be able to like hold myself compassionately, like I did the best I could, you know, like I did the best I could and and I can have so much grace for myself instead of what we usually do as mothers is like beat ourselves up for the ways that we made mistakes, you know? And I didn't, I didn't beat myself up at all. Like I saw it all. Um, it, it was painful to see, but it was also like non-judgmental. Um, and then I had a bunch of like revelations about just my space, my home, like so weird, but I don't think most people do this, but for whatever reason, I have lived in this pattern of like, any decisions that I make about our home, like the decor, if I'm like remodeling something, painting something, whatever, I try to choose things that I really do like, but it's always overshadowed by like, I want to make decisions that are also going to make my home more valuable in case I need to sell it. And, Mm. and like during this, that my January LSD trip, like it was literally like, why are you still doing this? Mm. Why? Like you don't even want to move. Why are you still making, you're not living in your home the way that brings you as much joy as you can possibly have. You're limiting your own joy with this scarcity mindset that you can't put down roots here and, and actually stay like you still have this fear that you're going to have to move and sell your house. And so within a month, like we had taken furniture out of our house. We had repainted a room, this like super beautiful green, like we turned our guest bedroom into I don't know. It's still morphing, but it's like, it was going to be like an opium den kind of a thing. And then like, it naturally just evolved on its own. And now it's like this enchanted, like plush fairy witch den. Like it's kind of, but it's awesome. Like it's super awesome. So what was incredible though, was like, sometimes whenever I have this 
understanding that like, I need to make a shift in my life. Oftentimes that comes about really slowly. Like I have to gradually work myself into that shift. Um, yeah. but this time it was like, we made the changes in a month and it wasn't hard and it was exciting and it was fun. And we're obviously still like working on our space, but like my mindset has totally shift shifted from seeing my home through the lens of a real estate listing. And it's now like, I'm seeing it through the lens of like, I want to live in magic. Like there's absolutely no reason why every part of my home can't be magical in some way other than I'm just holding my own self back. So, but then, um, just this last Saturday, I did the other half of the tab of the LSD <laughs> totally fucking different experience. It was awful. It was a oh, no. bad, it was a bad trip, Andy. I'm not even kidding. It was a bad trip. And it was like, it was like for 14 hours, I was like, I want to fucking get out of this. Like, and it was so interesting because I think it was for whatever reason, like, you know, again, we don't have any regulatory bodies doing this. So it's totally possible that like only a little bit of LSD was on the half of the yeah. tab that I took I think the first time. What happened. And then there was like way more on the other half that I took. And there's no way I could have known that going into it. Right. Yeah. But I mean, I've done a tab and a half of acid before and not had that bad of a trip. So I'm not really sure what was happening, but it was like, I don't know. I, I tried to explain it to my husband. It was like, I had taken enough to like, know that I was on a psychedelic, but I didn't take enough to like bust me through the ego ceiling. You know, mm-hmm. does that make sense to you? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just, I guess that's my, like my own personal story, but also my disclaimer to people listening of like, you know, what I've learned every single time I've done psychedelics, whether I've had a great trip, which I've had many, and whether I've had what we would call like a bad trip, which I've had a few, like anytime it's, it always comes back to me of like, you cannot control this medicine, like whatever happens on it, this is what happens. And sometimes it's not going to be a super fun experience. And you don't actually have a lot of control over that. Even if going into it, everything about your mindset and your setting is air quotes, like perfect or whatever. Like if everything's safe, if you have a person there who's sober, who's with you, who's safe, you have a good environment, like you're okay. Mm -hmm. You can do all of that. And you still don't actually have control over what the whole experience is going to be like. Yeah. I mean, thank you for sharing all of that. If I feel like it brings up so many things to me for me, like one is that, yeah, like I really just encourage people to use smaller doses. And I think I I can understand, you know, if someone is, if I think what has happened is we've, we've gotten into this mindset of like, you know, people are paying thousands of dollars to go on a guided trip over a weekend. And I can see which I have many thoughts. I, I feel mm-hmm. like that's wrong on a number of levels, but mm-hmm. that is what's happening. People are spending, you know, crazy amounts of money. And because they want to have this like knock it out of the park experience, they are being dosed at very high amounts. And I think, you know, it's very different to have an ongoing building gradual relationship with whatever medicines you're using, where you can, you can start low and build your way up. Right. Um, and I think that you know, my understanding of microdosing is that it's meant to be sub-perceptual. Yes. Meaning that you're not seeing, you're not seeing visuals. You are safe to drive. You are, you are a normal person. Yeah. But you know, what you were describing 
about that realization about your house is a perfect example of, I think, what psychedelics opens up to us, which is, I think that, first of all, I feel like it allows us to observe ourselves with, like, from, and when you're talking about busting through the ego ceiling, it's like, it allows you to see yourself from outside of yourself. Yes. From that more grounded spiritual place without judgment where you're able to be like, like, wow, I have empathy for you, Lindsay, that you see your house this way, Yeah, you know, totally. and it allows you to, to move the subconscious to become conscious. And I think the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway for me about psychedelics is the recognition that there is never only one way to do something. Yes. Whenever we're, that is a trauma mindset thing, right? It's like, it has to be like this. This is the only way that it, and that's reflective of that ski hill um you know that neurological wiring right that it's like it's it can only be this way my relationships only fail work is only suffering this is you know whatever it is it's being able to be like I know now that when I'm approaching something being like this is the only way this thing can be that I'm limiting myself there are always more options and more ways of doing things. Um, and to be able to have like, you know, I think that that realization that you had is really cool because you really could have lived your whole life with this, what appears to everybody else to be a beautiful house. That's an expression of you when really you actually have this like limiting belief. Yeah. That's just been, and, and it says a lot about not only your relationship to your space, but your relationship to your sense of home. Right. Like it's a, it's actually a very profound realization, right? Yeah. And and yeah, and I don't think I don't think that we need to be, we don't need to be taking like enormous doses to be having those kinds of realizations to recognize that. Because um, I mean, I'm part of my theory is that the bigger dose we're taking, the more that we're we're kind of getting into the collective consciousness. And I think the collective consciousness is a little bit like what the fuck right it's a now, scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like what the fuck right it's like it's very like it's a bit freaky deaky out there right now no matter what perspective you're coming from right and yeah I mean I think I just enjoy having these conversations with people because I think that it's a conversation about suffering and possibility usually the people that I'm talking to um it's like I'm unhappy or something is missing and, and, and I want, I want things to shift and I want things to change. And I hear from my clients, you know, and not all of them feel this way, but a lot of them do where it's like, I'll get this message being like this thing that has been difficult or stuck in my life, like is better now. And it's not even necessarily that the thing changed. It's that their perspective on the thing changed. Yes. And it's not even like, Oh, now I'm just happy about this thing. It's like, maybe I just have like more empathy for myself about how it's hard. Yeah. Maybe I was able to ask for help when I thought before that I couldn't. Um, I definitely know that I get like that when I feel overwhelmed. It's like, it just feels like you lose that sense of possibility. Right. And I do think that this medicine, um, it contains within it, like the connection to that sense of possibility, which I think is what mycelium is in general, right? Like mycelium is this incredible, beautiful network of 
support and wisdom and communication and knowledge. And I feel, yeah, one of the ways that I describe like having had like not only microdosing, but my relationship with foraging, it's like, I just feel like I'm a little more plugged into the mycelium than the average person, (laughs) which is sometimes good. And sometimes like, you know, can be weird to deal with regular humans when you're like, you're just not on the human plane as much, maybe. <laughs> Which again, collective consciousness is scary. So maybe that's not a bad thing. <laughs> well, yeah. And I think, I think mycelium is, is like, I mean, it's a metaphor for so many things, right? It's, it's like, I don't know if you've seen the movie Fantastic Fungi. Oh, I freaking love that movie. Everyone should watch that movie. It's a fantastic movie Such if you want to learn about mushrooms. Um, but they talk in that movie about how there is a po- there is a theory that language came to be through humans through psychedelic mushrooms. You know, mm. it's like, it's incredible. It's just really... It's yeah, it's 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 a really incredible thing and it's an incredible moment to be alive where these things are mainstreaming and there's a lot of there's legal questions and there's ethical questions and there's um you know, you can buy stocks. You can buy psychedelic stocks now. What? That's yeah, cool. you can buy like uh individual stocks and ETFs in companies that are like developing different kinds of psychedelic products and doing research and stuff right like it's very weird I don't know how I I feel about that I don't know how I feel about that it's like yeah I don't know that's weird like on the one hand I can be like yeah that's like that's probably a really great investment opportunity that in the next two to five years is really going to pay off for some people and then on the other hand I'm like but like that's taking like some of the most ancient medicine there is and like turning it into capitalism which is gross so I just Uh Well, this is, this is, this is the, this is the road that we stand at right now. Right. Is this thing of, um, as we come to embrace it culturally, we change it. Right. You know, and we are definitely at a point in time where I think, especially Western culture, like a lot of us acknowledge that like, we need a different way of being, we need a different, we need a new medicine and, you know, this is what I'm saying about there, there are a lot of, there's, there's also the whole story about Maria Sabina, right? Who is this, um, who is, she was an indigenous healer from Mexico, I believe, who introduced, she basically is credited with introducing mushrooms to the West and like hugely regretted it. And it caused a huge amount of um, upheaval in her community. I think her, I think her house was burnt down at one point. Like, you know, it was very like, what does it mean for us to take a traditional medicine from people? And now for the most part, it's not being forged out in the wild. It's, it's being cultivated. Um, and how does that change the medicine and how does that change us? You know, like these are all these really big questions. Um, I don't know what the answers are to these questions. I feel like Michael Pollan has done some good thinking on these questions. That's like, yeah. How does mind touches his, on this stuff? I totally love his work, man. Omnivore's Dilemma was one of the greatest books ever. Like it was such a good book and how to change your mind too. I've also read that one and watched the movie and or the show. And it's really, really fantastic. I feel Um, like Michael Pollan is an incredible author for like skeptical, typically like middle-aged middle-class plus like white people, you know, where he's like this white dude and he's like, he's like, I'm gonna think about psychedelics or I'm going to think about plants or I'm going to think about weed or I'm going to think about food, you know? And he like, 
he's skeptical about magic, but he's also like, it's there. It's yeah. definitely there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how, if somebody ever did a psychedelic trip, I don't know how they could ever be skeptical of magic again, honestly. Cause, cause my, yeah. my first, uh, my first LSD experience, um, we, we live on acreage. And so we were just like, we're just going to stay close to home. And like, we have these trails behind our house and nobody's ever on them. And so we decided to, you know, go traipsing off into the woods and, you know, just, there was just four of us like just tripping, you know, and like nobody else is around or whatever. And we climbed to the top of the mountain that we live on. Actually, we like got to the top of it. When I looked off the, the top of it below is all these spruce trees and balsam trees. And like, what I saw was that they were like swinging, like swing dancing together. They were like spinning in circles around each other in pairs. And I just had this instant understanding that like on some plane, this is happening all the time. I just can't see it in my own level, like my normal consciousness. And whenever I'm in a different consciousness, I can see things that I couldn't see before. And it's kind of like the spectrum of light, you know, we can't really see infrared light, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Right. It's just that our eyes Mm -hmm. can't see it. Our human eyes can't see it. So that's kind of how I feel about the things that I see on mushrooms. I've never seen anything crazy, scary, or like hallucinated something, you know, like a monster or some bad creature or anything like that. Everything that I've seen has been pretty, you know, fractals, rainbows, um, trees, trees, breathing stones, breathing little moss, like moving around on its own. It's like its own little world on a stone or something, you know, trees dancing, like that's the kind of stuff I see. So I'm curious, have you, uh, macro dosed recently? Um, and anything that you care to share from that? I haven't macro dosed very much since, um, starting to micro dose regularly and, I, I took like closer to a half gram, like that sort of beginning of a recreational dose a couple of times and yeah, didn't have the best time. And I'm still pondering over in my head, my thoughts about why that is. I think that there was some stuff going on in my life that um, I wasn't really willing to look at at the time, but I also just landed on like, you know, I'm with these mushrooms every day and it's helping me and working for me. And maybe it's just not the macro dose time, but I've definitely had some macro doses that, um, it's interesting. Cause one of my favorite ever mushroom trips was with two people that I'm no longer close with. Um, and I just, yeah, I have very fond memories of being on this beach and also seeing, yeah, seeing trees dancing and, and in that trip, actually, I, at that time I smoked cigarettes. And since then I just like, I can't smoke them and enjoy it yeah I like accidentally quit smoking without (laughs) intending to that's amazing (laughs) um yeah although sometimes it would frustrate me because I would like I I have found and I think this is a result of using mushrooms that um I kind of fall out of favor with some of my addictions which on the one hand is nice you know like for example right now like I feel like I kind of have stopped drinking alcohol which I wasn't really intending to do, but I just noticed when I drink it now, like I don't feel good. So it's like, I don't really get any of the fun. I just get all the negative benefits or not benefits, but side effects, consequences, you know? Yeah. Um, and I have seen people using this tincture, like use it 
to help with addiction. Like there is, there is definitely research that shows that psilocybin is helpful with, it's helpful with addiction. It's helpful with anxiety. It's, it's helpful with depression. It's helpful with trauma. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've definitely taken, I've taken big doses of MDMA. I've taken, I've definitely had some trips on acid. Acid is a bit, it's not my favorite personally. Yeah. Um, um, it's, it's intense. It lasts for a long time. And I microdosed, um, LSD for a while, similar to what you're talking about. And I just found that, um, it didn't let me, I felt like I couldn't rest Mm. when I needed to rest. Yeah. I definitely had that like LSD for me, even a half a tab. It's like, it's a 12 to 14 hour commitment, even a half tab, which is like really intense. And then I always have trouble sleeping afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas like with mushrooms, you know, I've been at a music festival and taken like a small recreational dose of mushrooms and it's just not kind of the right moment. And I've just slept it off, Mm. you know, whereas with LSD and and that's in higher doses, you, that's not necessarily going to happen. Right. But yeah, LSD I find is like, it's longer, it's more intense. It also has a bit more, this is maybe, this is, is would maybe be hard to understand if it's not, if, if you haven't experimented with both these things, but I feel like LSD can feel a bit more mechanical mm-hmm. to me. Like it can just feel less organic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I get but that. that's just my experience of it. I'm also like, I'm a very like, uh, you know, I'm an herbalist where I like, I make so many of the things that I use because I just can't often there's things in capitalism that I just, I just can't use them because my skin breaks out or I'm just sort of sensitive. I need to kind of use more organic earthy things. Totally. And then I, you know, I know people that I've like offered tinctures to who are like, no, when I take like forage things, it makes me feel sick. You know, some people just don't have the enzymes for it. Right. Yeah. Or whatever. (laughs) That's so funny. Um, but yeah, I, no, I, I mean, wonder, so- I mean, side note, I just kind of wonder if those people like come from the allopathic medical world. And so they just don't trust things that are like homemade or handmade. And they would rather have something out of a lab, like, cause they trust it more, but that's just me speculating. I think there are people who are like that. And there's one particular person I, I have in mind thinking about this, who I don't think that that's what it is. I think that this person just like, you know, w- it is true about wild mushrooms, especially that, um, you know, I pretty much never get stomach upsets from eating wild mushrooms. And some people do, some people have sensitive digestion where even if they're eating like a morel or a chanterelle or something that's, you know, that's like a choice edible, that's delicious. And like, really like there's a huge industries around it. They, it can still just kind of make them feel sick to their stomach for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, and definitely with psilocybin, like my favorite combination to suggest to people, it's like, if you're going to be taking, especially a bigger dose, it's like take it with honey and ginger and chamomile, mm-hmm. take it with something that will be calming, soothing to your digestive system also makes it taste better. Yeah. You, there, there are some people, there, there are some side effects from, from taking mushrooms. Right. And there are some people that it's contraindicated for and we just have to kind of be, this is why I like the lower doses because the lower doses, you're just less likely to have a real bad time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
Um, well, you mentioned doing big doses of MDMA. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. I mean, I like to rave, right? So, I mean, I like to go to music festivals and rave. So that's kind of like, <laughs> that is the, used to be the most kind of common drug of choice. Um, but there are like, they, MDMA is also starting to be legalized for PTSD therapy. You know, we, we know that it has worked well for people who, people like soldiers who've been to war, stuff like that. Um, I like MDMA. I also like MDA, which is like a bit of a calmer version of it because it's it's missing. The letter that it's missing is whatever makes it stimulating. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know enough about chemistry to really know this, yeah. but MDA, MDA. So whatever the whatever the uh, the second M is <laughs> makes it more stimulating. Yeah, MDA is more sort of like connective, loving, more the like ooey gooey part of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so my experience is very much like located within sort of like rave festival culture. Um, but there's lots of different ways that you can use these things. Right. And, and definitely people who like to go to festivals, that's one way that people get exposed to it. It's a bit more chaotic and more organic. I would argue it's also a bit more fun. <laughs> oh, yeah, see, I've never, okay. I've never, I've only been to one music festival. I've never done any drugs at any music festivals, not even smoked weed at a music festival. So I don't have that same experience. But mm -hmm. for me, whenever I do psychedelics, it like, I'm, if I even do it with other people, it's only going to be like four other people that I really yeah. trust. And they're like my forever people, um, who I don't mind if they see me having some emotional breakdown or like acting really yeah. silly or whatever, like, I'm not just going to do it in a crowd of strangers. And I tend to want to be like at or near my own home. Like if I want to go yeah. lay down or if I need to make some tea or like have some food, it's like, I have all those things accessible to me. And I tend toward the more like hyper-regulated, hyper-aroused nervous system anyway. So like anxiety tends to be like kind of my default nervous system state when I'm dysregulated. So I try to minimize that as much as possible. And I just feel mm -hmm. like, you know, being in a, in a crowded place or a loud place or a place with a bunch of people acting crazy or whatever, I think it would, <laughs> I think that would be a really bad recipe for me. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I mean, this is the thing is I'm actually very similar to you in like every way that you described. And I think though, as an adult, cause I raved a lot through my twenties and, um, and in BC, we just, we have a lot of opportunities to do that. Cause we have a really incredible music festival culture. Um, but I realized actually at the end of my twenties, I stopped because I just like my favorite festival stopped existing. And, um, and I realized that winter that not going to festivals in the summer really affects my winter mental health. Mm. And then I was like, I want to do this again. And I really like, I'm really appreciating that this was actually a really important sort of part of my twenties. And now that I'm in my thirties, it's like, I really want to bring this like back and then COVID happened. And so I couldn't do it for a couple of years. And now I got to do it again last summer. And it was interesting because, well, first of all, I was like of the crew of people that I went with, I had been raving the longest. I'd been raving for like over a decade. And, and, and then I'm also a mom. So I'm totally like the rave bomb, you know, I'm like, and I've worked professionally harm reduction. Right. So I'm like helping everybody in my group. And we actually had, we had a very mellow time where none of us got, like 
rip roaringly high. But what I realized about it is that what I like about music festivals is that I'm overstimulating myself on purpose with something pleasurable mm. because I'm listening to music that like the feeling of the bass in my body and through all of my bones and my skin and the lights. And it's like, it's so, it's overstimulating, but it's like enjoyable, right? Yeah. It's like, it's the music just feels so good. And I feel like the bass really shakes, it shakes things out of you that you don't need to carry and hold on to anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think, but I also think it really matters what space you're in, right? Like, I mean, there are certain types of electronic music that I don't love. You know, like if someone were to give me ketamine and force me to listen to Psytrance, I would have a bad time. <laughs> I would be like, this is not, this is not what I want to be doing. Or like really aggressive dubstep or something. I'm definitely more of a like, I like house music. Um, you know, it doesn't matter. I don't need to go into my electronic music preferences. But the point <laughs> is, it's like, you got to find, you got to find that sort of sweet spot of like, what environment like feels good to you. Um and also, I mean, being in a music festival is great because there are people there who are dedicated to taking care of you if it gets weird. Mm-hmm. And if you go with a good crew of people, you know, like my crew of people have me <laughs> where I'm able to like support and help them if it gets weird. And I know that I can count on them to do the same for me. Um, but I also, yeah, I'm definitely more like you definitely prefer to sort of like be in the woods or be in my own home or whatever the case may be. Um, and then there's some people who want to be like with a psychiatrist. Yeah. Right. Or like with, with a, a, a therapist professional in a fully legal environment. Yeah. I haven't done that yet. <laughs> I haven't done that yet either. I haven't done that yet. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I will say that like, you know, I was, I was suicidal in the spring of 2019. So in the spring of 2020 or no, I'm sorry, going into the winter of 2020, which I typically, if I'm going to have a resurgence of symptoms, which for me are like anxiety and insomnia, if I'm going to have a resurgence of symptoms, it's almost always in the winter time. Um, because I just love and need warmth and sunshine and the ability to like lay on the ground. And none of that is possible for mm-hmm. me in Minnesota for like, you know, six, seven months. Like it's pretty, it's, it's pretty intense how long you go. And like, that's why I go on vacation to place like Mexico or whatever, you know, in the middle of winter, because it's like, I need a break in that absence of warmth and, yeah, and grass and, you know, being outside. So, um, but if I'm going to have a resurgence of symptoms, it's, it's going to be in the winter time. And, um, somebody the other night I was teaching a workshop and someone asked me like, what are your thoughts on seasonal affective disorder? And I was like, well, I mean, there was one time when I would have said that I probably had seasonal affective disorder because I usually have resurgences of symptoms in the wintertime. But the more that I've like been with that and observed nature at the same time, the more I'm like, no, we only have seasonal effect. It's only a disorder because capitalism is like, you need to be at the same level of productivity every single day, 365 days a year. Whereas if you look out in nature, like the absence of sunlight and warmth, especially for those of us in like way more Northern climates, like you and I, you know, like all the trees can be diagnosed with seasonal affective disorder. The bears can be diagnosed with seasonal affective (laughs) disorder, right? Like the fucking squirrels could be diagnosed with seasonal affective disorder because everything slows down. Everything is heavier. Everything is like 
is sleepy. And, um, you know, even the animals that don't hibernate, they, they don't come out of their dens like a ton during the winter, they might come out, they might get a little bit of food or get some water and then they go right back to bed and go to sleep. So like, why do we think that as human beings, we're somehow above this or that we've evolved beyond this? We haven't. So I think seasonal affective disorder is just another label or diagnosis for what's actually a perfectly normal set of feelings Mm -hmm. and sensations, but we pathologize that as symptoms and you know, I, I also get it that like, yeah, if you, if you're working at an eight to five job and, and you can't create the same level of productivity in December as you can in June, yeah, you, you feel like you have something wrong with you and you want to keep your job, right. You don't want to get in trouble with your job because you can't be as productive. So I don't know, that's just how I feel about it. But I think that doing these monthly psychedelic trips in the winter time has been really helpful for some of that. Um, because it's kind of like, even if I'm not outside, even if I'm just inside my house, um, just sort of like being present with this to me, it really, like, I feel like sometimes on psychedelics that I'm really present with this, a presence of love. Like, I just feel like there is a sense of love and sometimes, um, we need a little bit of extra of that in the winter time, you know? So I don't know, that was kind of rambly, but those are, what are your thoughts on seasonal affective disorder? And if it doesn't have anything to do with psychedelics, that's fine. (laughs) I mean, I am definitely a person who lives very much by the seasons because I'm a forager, right? So I feel like my, and I'm also kind of more on the pagan side of like, I follow the wheel of the year and same all that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, I agree with you that, you know, like I just did a workshop about sleep and I, one of my talks in the workshop about sleep was about light and about how you can really help improve your sleep. If you have your indoor lights mimic what is happening with the lights outside. And so for us, where I live, you know, in the winter, like it can be dark, like at the winter solstice, it can be dark outside at 4 PM. Yeah. It's three 30 here in the winter. And so my lights need to be like most of the lights on my house are on dimmers. And so like most of my lights are off around four o'clock at solstice, right. To try to like encourage my body to have more rest. And then I, and then I also noticed like the flip side of that is that near the summer solstice, you know, sometimes the sun isn't setting until 10 PM. Mm -hmm. Um, but I actually sleep better on days when I have been exposed to the sun all day. Yeah. Even though the amount of time that there is darkness is less. Right. And so I definitely think, yeah, I think seasonal living is, I would find it very disorienting to live like near the equator or something where oh, yeah. the weather was basically like the same all the time. I would feel, I feel like that would be really strange. Yeah. Um, because I'm used to, you know, in the winter I do, uh, I rest more, I sleep for longer, I do more online and computer work. Mm-hmm. Um, I have sort of, it's more of an imaginatory, t- imaginative, imaginative, imaginative. Yeah, that's the right word. <laughs> Losing the words. <laughs> like, it's a more imagination driven time in my life, you know, it's a, more, a dreaming time. And then come spring, it's like, I'm starting to harvest all these things, which, which line up with certain times of the year. Um, 
you know, I have like a lot of mushrooms that I harvest, like mostly in the fall. I'm doing sting nettle in the spring. There's lots of flowers that I'm doing in the summer. And so it's like, I don't know, I have a whole kind of system of meaning that follows that set of the seasons. Right. And, and I think, you know, I was thinking as you were talking, like, do I have sort of the same thing? And what I actually notice is that when I feel something close to depressed in the summer, I find it harder because it's sunny out until like 9 p.m. And I'm like, I just want to be in bed reading a book in the dark. <laughs> I have wintertime cravings in the summer, you know, and it's like feels out of sync with what's happening outside of my home. <laughs> yeah. And are you microdosing year round at this point? Like when, yeah. when, when you microdose, are you microdose? It doesn't have anything to do with the seasons. No, it doesn't have anything to do with the seasons, but I do feel like just my general energy in life shifts a lot around the seasons. And I do notice that for me, yeah, like my, it's important for me. And and I think about this ancestrally, like, you know, with going to festivals and going to raves, it's like, I know that my European ancestors, like we used to have big midsummer gatherings where people would come from all over the place and people would use psychedelics. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they would drink like henbane infused beer or, whatever like we could there's a whole thing but it's like that that's an ancestral thing to like gather in the summertime and to like share stories and like that's that's also where people like found their mates you know and they yeah. like it's, it's an important thing to like gather in the summertime and have fun and listen to for my in my case listen to music right that lights you up and makes you feel good yeah absolutely well what else what else have we not said about psychedelics I'm trying to think if there was like anything else that you know, we've talked about LSD and mushrooms, macrodosing, macrodosing. Oh, I guess you, you've brought up uh, harm reduction in trip sitting. So I'd love for you to share like whatever specifically about trip sitting. That's something that I actually really, really enjoy doing is trip sitting for people. So um, yeah, I would love to hear like your thoughts and experiences on that. Yeah. I mean, I ended up trip sitting quite a bit when I worked so working harm reduction at a music festival, there's a lot of different like roles you can take. I worked at an information table. I did drug testing. And then I also did wandering outreach. And so wandering outreach is where you're just, you know, you're making your way through the festival and you're finding people who um, aren't doing okay. And some of that is, you know, in a music festival, sometimes people are taking five, six, seven drugs at once. They have kind of lost track of what's going on. And um, you're just sitting with them. And you're just sitting with them while they're going through this experience and they don't necessarily need to be in first aid. You know, they're not having a medical emergency and they don't necessarily need to be in the sanctuary, which is like a very calm place where there usually just ends up being a lot of people sleeping. Hmm. People are just keeping it off, but someone's keeping an eye on them. But you're just sitting with someone and like, you know, I've literally sat with people where they're having conversations with their dead relatives. Um, another trip that happens a lot for people is they think that they're at work. They're hallucinating that they're at work. Huh. So like they're doing dishes or they're doing whatever their job is, but you can see that's the subconscious, like coming up to the conscious mind, right? It's like you're, you've been just programmed to be like, I need to be doing this thing. And maybe you're feeling trapped in that thing. And, you know, I think, I think like the main skill with trip sitting, it's very similar to like, I don't know if you've ever had someone in your life who has dementia or Alzheimer's or something like that. 
So one of the things when you're working with someone like that, or just connecting to someone like that is that, you know, they'll, for example, be talking to their dead wife or somebody who's not around anymore. I would argue that I think maybe they actually are on some level talking to that person. Totally. But one of the skills for talking to someone like that is that you don't disagree with this person. Mm -hmm. So instead of being like, no, your wife's dead. She's been dead for 20 years, which is just going to cause this person a lot of distress. You sort of yes. And you say, okay, what's she saying to you? You know, and it's the same thing with people who are on psychedelics, right? Is like, you're, you're joining them where they're at and you're just providing a non-judgmental container and you're just, you're just giving them someone to co-regulate with while they're going to space, (laughs) you know? And it's also similar to to just being with someone who's who's going through birth or pregnancy, right? Where they're in this altered state that's sort of different from regular reality. And they just need someone to be with them to kind of hold that tether to being grounded while they're having this experience. Yeah. Um, like I said, it's some of my favorite people watching you can do. It's incredibly interesting. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and I just like, I have to remind myself that because I've seen some, some crazy cool shit on psychedelics. And to me, I can't scientifically prove that those things are real or that they're happening, but for me, they're real. And so like, that's something that I, I think is important with trip sitting as well is like, whatever a person is seeing or experiencing in that moment is real for them. So Mm -hmm just, you know, again, like you were saying, yes. And like, and, and what are they saying? Or now what are you feeling or whatever? Although I try to just kind of stay out of the way a little bit. And like, I'm always like a little bit at a distance and it's like, you know, I'll check on you. Can I bring you some tea? Can I bring you Mm -hmm. a snack? You know, like stuff like that. But by and large, I try to like, if they don't want me around, then I'll kind of be at a distance. If they want me like right there and they want to chat or you know, it's interesting. Sometimes people can be on psychedelics and it's like, I don't know, you're talking to them and they're like totally normal. I don't feel like I'm that way when I'm on psychedelics though. Like, I think, you know, I'm on something when I'm on something. (laughs) Or sometimes you'll talk to someone and they seem normal, but the stuff that they're saying is like, it's pretty wild, right? Like, yeah, I've definitely seen some pretty wild stuff trip sitting. Like I remember once I was helping a woman get back to her tent and she was temporarily blind. Oh my. Because the MDMA had, like, it expands your pupils. And I guess she had just done so much MDMA over the course of her life that, and she had stopped doing it. She had stopped doing it for several years. And she was like, you know, I was at a festival and I just wanted to try it and see if it would be okay. But now I'm blind. And she, but she was like talking to a sober person because she was like, she knew this at this particular festival, it's like more than 10,000 people. So finding your tent is like, hard yeah but she knew she was like okay you just gotta go like we gotta go 10 rows this way and then there's a pink unicorn and you turn right or whatever right and like she just needed my eyes to like see where she was to guide her back to her tent you know and it was so wild because it was like on the one hand this is a very strange thing (laughs) and on the other hand it was totally normal and fine like she was very kind of sober about despite being temporarily blind from being on drugs. <laughs> yeah. That would freak me the fuck out. Honestly, anything like that would, would freak me the fuck out. And I would probably end up having a bad trip. But again, it's because like psychedelics make me, I'm already really sensitive anyway. And I feel like psychedelics just like turn yeah. the volume of sensitivity up, like emotionally, mm-hmm. like I'm very sensory sensitive. So like 
too much light, too much sound, too much visualization. Like sometimes, sometimes I even have, I don't know if this is like a proprioceptive sensitivity or something, but sometimes it like, if I'm not outside, if I'm on psychedelics, then this isn't every time either. Just sometimes if I'm not outside, I feel like the room that I'm in is like, it's too small, even if it's not crowded or even if it's like a big room, like my living room or something, it's like, nope, this is too small. I have all this expansion like happening and it needs to have room to expand. (laughs) So I have to go outside because that's the only place big enough. (laughs) I get very, I get very like particular sometimes when I'm on psychedelics about my environment. (laughs) I mean, it reminds me of like kids, you know, how kids are sort of like, they're, they're much more likely to express that when they don't or do like something very directly. Right. It's like, or toddlers, right. Where it's like, they need the blue plate. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Is it's your daughter is your daughter plate. doing that now? It has to be the blue plate. It's not quite that. It's more so like I want to do this so I'm doing it like yeah. The last few days, you know, I'll like run the water for a bath or a shower and the last two days she's just gotten into the bath like fully clothed, you know? Nice. I'll turn my back for a second and then I turn around and she's in the tub like her diaper is soaked, like her clothes are just soaked. And she's just like, yeah, it's great. I'm in the tub now, you know? And I'm just like, oh my God. Like, yeah. <laughs> now I got to get all these wet clothes off you. I got to somehow get this diaper off you without it ruining the bath, you know? Or like, yeah, she's she's very, she's never met a flight of stairs. She doesn't mm-hmm. want to climb. Even mm-hmm. after falling down one, Ugh. you know? Just yeah. no, she has no fear. She's just fully like, we're doing it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. She's so cute too, though. Um, okay. I have one more question and it kind of has stuff to do with the psychedelics, but kind of not. Um, I work very sparingly with a plant medicine called ghost pipe. Mm -hmm. Um, I harvest ghost pipe. I forage it. Same, same. I haven't foraged any since 2020 because, um, yeah, you don't need much. <laughs> but um anyway, whenever I was trying to like I learned about ghost pipe and forged it for the first time actually during a psychedelic trip and I was feeling a lot of anxiety and had tried like my husband took me for a walk, that was helpful until it wasn't. I tried taking a shower, that was helpful until it wasn't. I tried laying on the ground, that was helpful until it wasn't. And finally I was like I just feel like I need to like like shake like crazy, go out and shake like crazy. Mm-hmm. So I went out into the woods by myself and I just started shaking and I had my eyes closed while I was shaking and I was just shaking, 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 shaking. And then whenever I opened my eyes, there was like fucking ghost pipe everywhere. Like it was all over. And I was, and it, it was like, Interesting. I felt you've been on psychedelics. So you would understand this people who are listening, who've never been on psychedelics might think this sounds nuts. But it was like my ancestors were, or the plant or something was like sitting on my head and was like, this is for you. (laughs) Like, here it is. (laughs) We made it for you right now because this is what you need. And what's crazy is that a friend of mine, like two weeks before, had told me that he had harvested some ghost pipe and made a tincture. And I was like, can I trade you for some of it? And Mm -hmm. so I had, I had made like a wild lettuce leaf tincture and he didn't have any of that. And so he had this ghost pipe tincture. So we swapped. And so I had like this teeny amount of ghost pipe tincture in my house already. 
And this, there it was out in nature. And it was like, I already had what I needed and I didn't even know it. Anyway, I took, you know, I started with like three drops and I did that like every 10 minutes. And then I increased because it wasn't helping with the anxiety so much, but then I ended up harvesting some myself and tincturing it myself. And I very rarely use it. But whenever I was reading about ghost pipe, um, I saw an article that someone wrote that they used ghost pipe tincture at festivals in the, yes. in the tent. Yeah. So I was curious if you have experience with that, like either helping someone else with it, using it for yourself, like what, what are your thoughts on ghost pipe? Because it's been really, really hard for me to find information about it. Yeah. So, I mean, ghost pipe is, there's so many things I could say about it. Like there's definitely some hesitation in the herbalist world around ghost pipe because it is a hypnotic nervine. It's, it's good for like, it can help stop seizures. It can help bring people down from psychosis. Um, you know, it's just, it's a very strong nervine. And, and I would argue, I think it's a dissociative, um, which, you know, if you're, if you've taken something that's making you extra sensitive, it's like, it seriously turns down the volume on that sensitivity. Um, but because, you know, like anything, when, when people figure out such and such a plant does this thing, it tends to get over harvested. Right. And so a lot of herbalists are like, hesitant to to sell or share their spots um the places that i have harvested it from it grows extremely abundantly and in a way where it's like you know i can take a couple pieces from a patch and then 10 meters to the right there's another giant patch and i can just take small amounts and it doesn't look like anything's been taken um but i don't sell it publicly partially because of like the stuff I just mentioned, but more so because it's not an introductory medicine that's like appropriate for every person. Um, but actually what you're describing about the music festival thing, the person, cause I was looking at sort of how, if there was a special way you needed to process it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, and I ended up reading this long thing about it that was written by somebody who had worked festival harm reduction and used ghost pipe to help people come down from bad trips. And so as you're describing this, I'm like, yeah, I think you needed to take ghost pipe because it's, that's one of the things that it's really good for. Um, it's a good tool to bring people like, I mean, it also helps stop seizures. So, you know, when I think about a seizure is like, it's like an electrical outlet that's just, like an electrical circuit that's just fried right like your nervous system is just it's too much electricity right and so it just really yeah it turns majorly turns down the volume it also i've heard is good um can be helpful for people who are dealing with addiction and people who are experiencing really intense trauma the way that i've i've heard it described is it lets you sit next to your trauma mm-hmm. which to me is like it sounds like it helps you dissociate but in a way that is like you aren't experiencing the acute suffering of that thing. You're able to sit next to yourself and observe yourself suffering, moving through that thing. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful medicine. It's it's also, I mean, ghost pipe is so interesting because it's technically not, I think it's actually technically not a fungus. Yeah. It's a it's, plant. It's a no plant chlorophyll. with chlorophyll. Yeah, with no yeah. chlorophyll. So it it's, People think it is a fungus because of the way that it exists um, 
it, it functions like similar to a fungus in the sense that it's, I think it's mycorrhizal or something like that. Like it's, it needs the, the root system and all of the plants like around it in order to give it the nutrients that it survives from because it doesn't make food from light, which is what chlorophyll allows plants to do. Right. Right. So it's like, I think it is also like, as much as it has this air of being a ghost, it also has this air of, um, it needs uh, the things around it. Like it needs collective consciousness to be alive. I think is the kind of conclusion, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting. It's a really, really interesting plant. I, I don't feel like I fully understand it. Um, but I make sense to me. Like as you were describing this story, I was like, yeah, because it's going to help you come down from this trip you don't want to be on anymore. <laughs> yeah. That's why it's appearing for to you. Yeah. And it's so <laughs> funny because my relationship with ghost pipe is like, like, I used it the other day during my trip. Um, I took like 10 drops and then like 10 minutes later, I took like another 10 drops or something. Sometimes I don't really feel like it does anything, honestly. Sometimes, and so I don't know if it's a- I think 10 drops is a very low dose. Well, yeah. So that's what I'm saying. It's hard for me to find information about it online because everything I read about online is like, start with three drops every 15 minutes until symptoms subside. And so I did that my first trip and like, you know, eight, eight drops or eight doses of three drops later. I'm like, this isn't fucking working. (laughs) Like I'm still panicked as fuck. Um, I've tried to use it to help with sleep. It doesn't seem to work for that either. So I don't know. I really don't know, but it is one of those medicines that when it appears in my life, I need it, even if it's just sitting next to it, which is fine. Mm -hmm. Um, but very often if I just go out looking for it, I can't find it. It's like, it only appears Mm -hmm. to me when it's supposed to be part of my life at that time, which doesn't always mean I need to take it. Right. Like I have this, I have this like eight ounce tincture that I made fucking two and a half years ago. And it's still like eight ounces of tincture. Like I've barely touched it. Yeah. Um, so I don't need to use it a lot, but it's been really, really difficult for me to find information. And I felt like it was relevant since you are an herbalist and since you do forage plant medicine and since you have worked harm reduction at festivals where they might've used ghost pipe. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and, and also I would say, you know, like you and I are similar where it's like, you're so sensitive to certain things that you got to go real easy on certain things. Um, but then the flip side of that is that it's like, you know, if you have that revved up nervous system, I have to be really careful with anything stimulating. Yeah. Same. Like I, I'm now able to drink sort of like some caffeine. Like I, if, as long as it's in the AM hours, I can have like a cup of green tea or something. But like, if it starts to be closer to the PM hours, like I won't be able to sleep. I can't drink coffee. Like I can't, I can't do stimulants. Mm-hmm. It's just same. terrible. Yeah, but the flip side of that is that if I'm taking a sedative, I need a lot of that sedative for it to work. Right. And I think that, you know, I've noticed with, um, and I'm a fairly small person, like I'm five, two. And like, you know, if I am, if I'm going to go under anesthesia or something, I have to say to them, I know I'm small, but I need a fairly large dose of this for it to work because of the way my nervous system is. And I think it's similar with plants where it's like, you know, when we're giving, and this is again, this whole conversation about dosing, which we kind of started with talking about at the beginning of this, it's like, I really don't love the idea of standardized dosing because we just don't know. 
like you have to be the authority of the dose that works for you. And what, what, when someone is giving like, you know, a, a dose of ghost pipe, if you're a person with a naturally sort of depressed nervous system, and I don't mean that in a like way of depression, but more sort of like you are just already sort of a low energy. Maybe you have low blood pressure. You're like, you're just not, you don't have a, yeah. like, you're not like us, you like know, you hy- don't have hypo aroused. <laughs> yeah. You have a hypo aroused nervous system. Adding ghost pipe to the mix of that could make this person pass out, right? But for us, where our nervous system is is high revving, like I take higher doses. Like I have, for example, a tincture that I make called Chill Out, and it's a mix of skull skullcap and cava root. And it says on the bottle, do not mix with sedatives. And I take a sedative every night to go to sleep, and I take this tincture in higher doses than most of my clients would with a sedative every night. Yeah. Because I know, because I trust myself enough to know my body, like, that's not going to make me pass out. It's barely going to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But for somebody, like, you know, I've seen, I've heard of people, for example, taking valerian root and like, I think it was like, and they also took Benadryl or something like that. And the person passed out and had to go to the hospital. Damn. So it's like, everybody is really different. Yeah. No, and so, think- it's so interesting that you brought this up. And like, I feel like I know more than the average person about a nervous system, but it never occurred to me that because my nervous system tends toward the more hyper aroused state where it's like very difficult to bring me down sometimes that it would take more of mm-hmm. something like a sedative, um, whether it's pharmaceutical or not, but, um, that makes total sense. And I don't know why I hadn't thought of that before. It's the same for me. It's the same thing with weed. Like the amount of weed that it takes for me to like feel an effect from weed is so much more than the average person. Like I can handle more weed than my husband. Who's like 10 inches taller than me, you know, like, (laughs) like he's bigger than me and taller than me. And like, I can handle more weed than he can. And we had a really interesting conversation several years ago, whenever I first like started using cannabis and I was like, what does being high feel like for you? And he's like, oh, you know, I feel heavy and I feel like I lose my train of thought and like, I feel like kind of ethereal in my head or whatever. What does it feel like for you? And I was like, I think high for you is like what would, what, what normal would feel like for me. <laughs> like we just makes me feel normal. It doesn't make me feel like high or trippy or, you know, mm. anything like that. So I can't believe I hadn't like put that together before in my mind, but that makes total sense. So like for someone like you and me, our nervous systems tend to be more hyper aroused. Then that makes total sense. Why something like three drops or 10 drops of ghost pipe is like not going to do shit. So would you say that like, it would be smart. And I know I can figure this out for myself, but just from your own, like herbalist perspective, would you say that like doubling that like 20 drops would be enough or does that even seem small because i don't know the only kind of dosage recommendations i've ever seen for ghost pipe are teeny tiny doses so like i don't know what would be a more appropriate dose for myself does that make sense yeah it does i mean i would say like with ghost pipe um first of all it depends on the strength of your tincture right like did you make a really strong tincture or not Yeah. I tend Um, to do like, like I tend to like fill the jar with plant matter and then pour the alcohol over it so that there's not like a lot of, you know, space, like loose space for the plant to just kind of like float and turn in. It's like pretty packed in there. Yeah. So it's, it's probably a pretty strong tincture. 
And then it, yeah, it would also depend on like what, at what point did it turn purple? Your tincture? Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. So then you probably picked it like at the right time. Mine did not turn purple. Oh, really? Yeah. It still has the, I think it was just later in its life cycle. Was the, the head of it pointing upward or was it still pointing down? I'm not sure. I harvested it like two years ago. So it's, it's, it's hard for me yeah. to remember. Yeah. I, I learned that, um, if the, so the way that ghost pipe looks like after it comes up, it like the, the top of it curves over. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. It, it looks kind of like a skull and then a spinal cord, right? Like, so it yeah. kind of has that look. That doctrine of signatures thing. It, yeah. like, it looks like what it works on. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So it has that sort of like head bent over with the spine kind of coming down. And what I learned was that when the head is still bent over, that it's very fresh. When the head starts to turn upwards, it's getting into the later stages of its life. And then if you see dead ghost pipe, um, it's so it looks standing like up. Yeah. it's all standing up and it's like totally black and, and standing up. So, um, yeah, mine was, mine was still bent over. Yeah. I think the tincture, the tincture I made of it, um, it was, it was still within the range of like, when I use the tincture, I get the effects, but because it didn't turn purple, I know, like we know color and smell are like huge indicators of like the, and this is again, like you know, when we're, when we're buying a tincture or, or we're getting a medicine from someone, it's like, what is the level of like detail that this person is taking? But yeah, I think if you filled the jar and it turned purple, you probably have a fairly strong tincture. And I think, I mean, when I send out an herbalism package, I have always a card that is an intuitive dosing card, which basically Mm -hmm. says like, this is roughly, you know, the amounts you might want to be playing inside of, but you need to listen to yourself. So it's like, if you've been taking these doses and experiencing nothing go higher and I mean and that's that that again is something that I've learned from festival culture right is this idea of like dart low go slow and build up like within your own authority right like listening to yourself because I mean I find this as an herbalist all the time that people are coming to me and they're saying what is the dose of this I'm supposed to take and what I usually will say is okay well here's the range you know are you dealing with something that's chronic or acute and then you need to just take it and notice how you feel. Um, and, you know, with ghost pipe, especially like that's a strong, the reason I don't sell that tincture publicly, like I have a list on my Facebook page of all the things I make and sell and I don't sell ghost pipe publicly, partially because of this exact yeah, thing. Makes sense. It's like I would want to have a conversation with somebody and know that this is the right thing for them to be taking. Because um, it's not the same as giving someone like nettle tea. No. You know, <laughs> no, but no, I think you could just dose, dose higher. Yeah. Maybe use it when you're not on a psychedelic to notice at what point while sober, you start to feel some impacts from it. Yeah. I think today would actually be a great day for me to try that, even though it's like four in the afternoon here, because like, <laughs> I, I do feel a little bit more, uh, upregulated today for whatever reason. Um, so yeah, I think that's a great idea. And I'm, I'm going to go try 20 drops <laughs> yeah. one time. Um, okay. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been a really, really fun conversation. It's been lovely to have you back on the show. Can you please tell everyone listening where they can find you and what your offerings are and how they can work with you if they would like to? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram and Facebook at smoke and forage. 
um, all spelled out, all one word. Um, there's no symbols or anything like that. And um, yeah, and I teach a class about, it's called Plants, Mushrooms, and Mental Health. I teach it with my co-teacher. Her name is JC. She is at Unfurl Wellness. And um, it's a six-week class. We cover a lot of things that impact our mental health and plants and mushrooms that can help with mental health. I also make remedies. So I make tinctures and I make salves. Um, I am toying with the idea of bringing back my boundaries class this year, which I talked to you about in the previous episodes of. Yes, we will link to those episodes where we talked all about boundaries. Those were really juicy conversations. I got so much great feedback from those. Yeah, they are really, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm toying with the idea of bringing that back. I also like, I, I also, am a, I'm a doula and a birth worker. Um, I wrote a book about holistic contraception, which was also actually at your encouragement. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> 70 page book. It took me a long time to, to write this all down. Um, but my birth work stuff is moon cycle womb care on Instagram. It's all one word. Um, and yeah, I, I make, I make medicines. I teach people about make, about using and making medicines. And then I also do consultations. So I do free consultations that are 15 minutes. It's a short chat just to kind of, it's mostly to help people decide what remedy they want to offer or to give them like a flavor of what a longer conversation would be. And then I do one hour conversations. Um, one is about mental health and another one is just about sort of whatever topic you might want to talk to me about. And those conversations get you free shipping on any order that you place. Nice. And you, I know you live in Canada, but if someone wanted to buy something from you, do you ship to the U.S. or other countries? Or yeah, I ship to the states, and I ship sort of all over the place. Okay. Cool. Well, thank you so much. We're going to link to all of that in the show notes below. It has been lovely chatting with you again, and maybe we need to talk about holistic contraception next. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I would love to talk about that for sure. It's a really, it is infuriating to me how little accurate information we have about that and how much we are impacting women and girls by putting us on hormonal contraceptives that are terrible for us. Yes. Thank you. That is, that is all we have to say about that right now. Your birth control, your hormonal birth control is terrible for you. Um, yeah, it is. It really is. is, I know. Um, all right, love. Always good conversations with you, Lindsay. (laughs) Thanks for being up for having them. Um, we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah. Thank you so much. 